Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Tefunganui Atara, where I'm recording today, and wish everyone, well, not a happy Waitangi Day, but it's always a good time to remember that we live on land that was stolen from the native people, and maybe we should reflect on our colonialism. Yes, I, we both live on unceded land. Hey, um, so what sparked joy for you this week? Um, a few things. There's a new Mitski album. It's out. Ooh. It's out. I've been listening to it. The problem is, is that I love Mitski, but I'm going to try and run to it later. I've just been really enjoying popping it on with my fancy headphones. And also the other thing I've been doing is going back to a really old work in progress from 2010 and trying to beat that into shape. It's the one. It's the one. Yay. Love so that. Hopefully I can get that finished and in a place where I like it. Amazing. How about you? What sparked joy for you this week? Um, I think what sparked joy for me this week was talking to Frank. That was lovely. So good. <laughs> it's just nice to have that time and just catch up a bit. And then, yeah, you know, I just love him and adore him. So that was lovely to have that, that moment just to talk to him and get him to introduce him to you too, which was lovely. And yeah, I got a tattoo on Saturday. So that sparked joy until now when it's hurting. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is the horrible bit. And I always forget it. Why do I keep forgetting it? But it's fine. I didn't want to remind you that it was going to hurt. But at least I thought, oh, it's not on the leg this time. So you won't have to worry about the shorts of the gym issue. Because that was really Mm. stressful for you last time. Yes. And I was like really arrogant yesterday because I'm like, oh, it's not leaking and like it's really good and I think it's going to heal just fine. But it's just because it wasn't even 24 hours old yet. Oh, no. That's why I'm wearing my bathrobe currently because it's nice and soft and doesn't hurt my arm. (laughs) But I'm also cold, so I need something long sleeve because it's freezing here at the moment. So that that sparked joy. It does fun. (laughs) It's a beautiful tattoo as well. So thank you. Cam is amazing. He is amazing. Four for you, Cam. Everyone who has seen it loves it. Yeah. It's dope. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's dope. Although I said that to him and then I said, I don't know why I've just said the word dope. I don't like, don't like that. <laughs> it's hip. It's ironic. We're old now. We can say the things from our youth, Jen. Uh, youth. So we had a special guest on the pod, a longtime friend of Gen V and official friend of the pod. Yes. So hi, mm. Frank. He's going to answer some of our burning questions about boarding school life. We're just going to insert the story that he told us about ability here um and then we're going to release the whole interview as a bonus episode because it's amazing but here's the story of ability from frank i can certainly share some sort of reflections about it i hope it qualifies as a story this jumped out to me as the theme because the motto of stonyhurst is quand je puis in french which means all i can or when i can or as much as I can, which I think chimes really nicely with the theme of ability because there was this expectation at school, I think, that you did lots of things and that school life was geared up towards letting you do a lot. And that actually, particularly the older we got, the more I found that the people who were missing out were the day pupils who just came to do school and then left because the school day ended at 7 p.m. Because there were so many things going on, like classes or sport or after after school things, that what I found by the time we were sort of 17, 18, is that few people actually wanted to be day pupils because they then had to travel home and it was late and they'd then have to do their homework. So most people either boarded or were weekly boarders. So during the week, there just wasn't that much point going home. And yeah, that was partly because the school was so geared up towards letting everyone make the most of their abilities so there was you know I did cross-country running I did cadets I played in two orchestras I sang in three choirs I did a play every single term I think I I was doing a lot um, but the environment was entirely geared up no one was saying wow you need to slow down everyone was like well if you can do those things do them Um, and I you know and I did my studies as well I actually um, I did an extra A-level just not on the curriculum because that was also okay not to, I'm not saying that to brag but I am kind of proud of that actually because the head of math said to me you could do maths a level and I said well I've chosen other a levels he said but you could still do it so I was like okay sign me up 
I hope that this is an ability story. Like it was an environment that seemed to um, let your abilities flourish. It didn't uh, bat an eyelid that people would want to do things like that. So thank you, Frank, for talking to us. Yeah, it was really, really insightful. And I think it's really given me an interesting approach to this text as well, because just of the way that people are forming relationships and Mm. how they relate to their sense of home and their expectations, I think it's really interesting to have that boarding school lens over it, especially for us, because it's so, as we've discussed previously, so outside of our wheelhouse, right? Absolutely. I had nothing like this experience at school. Everything that Frank talked about Half the time I was like, oh my gosh. And the other half the time I was like, well, that actually kind of sounds cool. Yeah, because when he sent me the photo of his boarding school, I'm like, oh, sign me up. This looks amazing. It's but then castle. he was talking about it. And I'm like, this sounds horrific. <laughs> but I mean, like a lot of stuff about school sounds horrific anyway. Like if I think about some of the things of my school history, I'm like, oh, that was terrible. Yeah. That was a terrible thing. So it's all about context. Yeah. And. A lot of what Frank talked about was sort of like the fact that they make it this really immersive culture Mm. where you're in it. So you don't really question it. But then after you leave, you're like, what the heck was that? Because your experience doesn't line up with other people's boarding school experiences or other people's non-boarding school experiences. Which is very much my childhood as well. Like I've said before, I've joked before that my colleagues say that my childhood story should come with a trigger warning. But when I was living my childhood, I didn't think anything that I was experiencing was weird. But now when I relate it to people, I'm like, oh... That was not your experience, I see. This is, I think, growing up in rural Southern Oregon. I'm like, it wasn't that bad, was it? Maybe it was. Yeah. Well, I'll do our chapter summary, shall I? Thank you. Um, So we learn a bit more about Lucy and her weird friend, Davy. The mage considers making Simon leave school for his own safety. Agatha has no idea how to tell Simon she doesn't love, love him, romantic styles. And the veil is lifting, so people are getting visitations. But Baz still hasn't turned up, which makes Simon crazy. He goes to visit Eb, the goat herd, and searches the catacombs to no avail. Yeah, a lot happens, but also not a lot happens. That's what I got from this section. It's kind of like that dead time when you're just waiting for something, right? Because Simon is just Mm. waiting for bears. The not knowing kind of makes time feel a lot longer, I think, than what it is. Like, it seems like it's like six to eight weeks of a week almost. Like, things have Mm. started, but they really haven't started for Simon because Baz isn't there. And, like, Baz is such Mm. an essential part of his school experience that he really can't deal with Baz not being there. Yeah. It's a lot. Perfectly normal roommate behavior. (laughs) It's very much the expectation thing, I thought, as well. Like, he... He is just mm. he expects Baz to turn up, he expects Baz to be places, and then when he's not, it just completely ruins his whole vibe. Yeah, absolutely. I found that was really true. And also that like there was so much more about expectation this week based on just what everybody wanted everyone mm. else to be doing. So like the mage really expected Simon to be this like perfect child soldier, mm. but he's a person and the fact that he's like this broken person, according to the mage, like this is a problem for the mage who's trying to find a spell to fix it. Mate, just sit down and talk to him and like treat him like a person for 20 minutes a week. Yeah. Stop looking for spells. Just be a human. Oh my gosh stresses me out and I mean in our theme this week was ability and Mm -hmm. I thought ability and expectation actually goes really well together like they go hand in hand right so the mage being the way that he is really informs I think Simon's doubts of his own abilities like he doesn't trust himself at all and no one really seems to trust that Simon has the ability to do what he needs to do yeah because his magic is so unpredictable right so the magic doesn't fall into what their expectation of magic is therefore they question his ability but then he's so good at fighting like he is so good at that he's got incredible ability he's fighting like his form is really good he's practicing sword fighting on Baz's side of the Mm. room (laughs) just to be annoying to his roommate who's not there he also has magic like he can do magic without speaking yeah yeah like he sits up when he thinks there's someone in the room and turns on all the lights without meaning to and that's really not Mm. supposed to happen because in this world in the world of mages you speak magic Mm -hmm. that is what you do like anyone who can speak magic is welcome at Watford but he Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily speak magic No, he is magic. Yeah. I thought it was interesting as well when Agatha is thinking about Simon and, you know, she's thinking about one day he's not going to come back Mm -hmm. and she talks about nobody's that strong, nobody's that lucky. Like, she doesn't ascribe ability to Simon either, which I thought was really interesting because in the section just before this, like in the previous chapter, when Simon is talking about Agatha's show jumping, which is an ability, um, he says any luck and she says um, some, mostly skill. Mm -hmm. So she gets quite shirty at the fact that, you know, it would be luck (laughs) because it's like her ability and she's honed it but she doesn't give him the same courtesy she ascribes what he does to to luck 
Well, I think that might be a difference in their magic, right? Because we know that Agatha has to work a lot harder at it. And she also, Mm. like Simon, she pulls Penny up on wasting magic. That's a waste of magic. But we've already heard in the last section, you know, Simon talked about how hard it was for him because there's just so much magic, like all of the time. He can't really direct it or control it. It's like a volcano or something. And Mm. with Agatha, it's like having to hold a ballet position. So that's more effort. Whereas Mm. with Penny, she's just pulling it out of nowhere, basically. And she says, there's yeah. always as much as I need for however long I need it. So we know that it's not wasteful for her. Her ability is much more in some ways than than Simon's because she has so much and she can control it. Yeah. And it's definitely just more ability than Agatha to wield and to have. Like, there's just more there. And the same with Baz, right? With, like, the way that Baz's magic is described in the previous section as well about how it's always fire as well. We'll see with him later that he can just conjure fire because pitches the house of fire Mm. so he just has this ability that other people don't really have like this affinity that others don't have i love the idea of magical affinities i also love that it's super vague that's great like why would you understand something like that right like why would there be an explanation for everything we can barely understand how it is we're human beings so why would we (laughs) understand magic so true i really Mm. love that this attention to detail is actually the lack of detail like we don't need it so prescriptive no makes it richer somehow yeah we don't even understand cold and flu season so <laughs> truth <laughs> we would never be able to figure out magic we can't even agree um, on how important shakespeare was right like <laughs> um i thought that there was quite a lot of gatekeeping in watford and, and in mm. the magical community on the basis of ability so mm-hmm. we know that previously you had to pass a test of ability before you could get into watford and this is the thing like the mage isn't wrong that if you have magic anyone should be like education should be for yeah. everyone right this is what i agreed with too i was like i get what he's co- i get where he's coming from that people shouldn't be not allowed every child deserves an education absolutely yes absolutely but the thing is it doesn't come from an altruistic place like he tries to claim that he's like you know oh magic is for everyone blah 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 but he just genuinely has a massive chip on his shoulder so it doesn't yeah. come from a place of wanting to even the playing field it's kind of like good ideas can come from terrible people Mm. Like, that is actually a genuinely good thing that he's aiming for. And I agree with it. Like, everyone should be allowed to go to school and magical children should have a Watford. Or maybe there should be more Watfords. That's fine. Mm. But the way he's going about it is personal. He's made it personally. Instead of saying, like, you know, let's do this for all of the other kids, he's going, let's do this for me. And then it, I think it just mm. gets away from him. Yeah. I yes, know. I agree. There's this one line in particular where... On page 69, young Davy and his expectations about how he can, like, remake the world, right? Um, so on page 69, he says, They'll give me a seat at the table, and then I can spend my life as they do, making sure that no one else takes it from me. And this is exactly what he does. Like, mm-hmm. he takes power, and then he spends all... Like, this entire book, he is just trying to stop the pitchers and everyone else from coming for his crown, basically, yeah. right? Like, he completely shelves, like, the humdrum fight because he wants to fight this battle with the pitchers, and they talk about how they're running... The old families are running a covert war against them which i'm not convinced they're doing i don't think they are no like that you i i agree i agree they're not but this comes from simon's perspective where he talks about it where he says like Mm -hmm. everyone knows they just want to be back in power again really are you sure that's it like are you sure it's not because someone came in and has completely ruined their entire thing yes because they say on page 83 if you ask the pitchers why they hate the mage they start talking about the old ways and our magical heritage and intellectual freedom which is also fair enough because the mage is going in there taking all their books taking all their stuff like just not just stripping them of power but basically ostracizing them from the community Mm -hmm. it's swung from one end to the other which is why I find this book so interesting because it's like that classical conundrum that you see when you know you talk about revolution and you talk about all these things and political ideologies and you think you're going in there with the good but you so quickly become the bad guy yeah 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 just seeing that Simon is so unwilling to let go of the ideas that he's been given from the mage that really struck me like he needed a cause and the mm-hmm. mage has sort of given him one, but it doesn't really resonate. He parrots it, but I don't feel like he feels it, right? No. So he's following Baz around. He thinks because he's trying to catch him doing something for the old families. But it's just <laughs> like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like that's what he's doing, right? No, I mean... He even admits at one point that Penny's asked, has he, you know, tried to bite you? Are you in his thrall? And he goes, maybe I am. Maybe that's why I've spent the last six months following him around perfectly normal roommate behavior yeah i mean when he's like loitering in the hallway outside baz's violin lessons and like what do you think he's doing in there <laughs> even penny's like i'm not doing this i'm not going to your, his football matches i'm not like yeah <laughs> it's so silly 
There's a moment where he talks about swinging past the football pitch, even though he knows Baz isn't there. He goes to see, like, and I feel like that is something that he's always done. He always walks past the football pitch when Baz is playing, not just now because he's looking for him. He just yeah. always does this. Perfectly normal roommate behavior. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also love how Agatha has picked that, and she's like, he doesn't even have to be here to mm. make you crazy. And, like, it makes Simon so mad, even though he was thinking the same thing literally the day before that Agatha has picked it. You know when your girlfriend's on to you, like, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. I find Agatha's ability interesting, because as we know that her magical ability is not as, I guess, innate mm-hmm. or as natural to her as, say, Baz and Penny's is, right? Yeah. Like, she's got to work harder for it. But she's got so many other skills. Like, she's really good yeah. at show jumping, and she's really proud of that. And I think it's such a tragedy that she has to conform to this world, to these expectations that don't yeah. allow her to excel in the areas that she's good at. Yeah, and there, despite the fact that she has enough ability to be in Watford, like nobody has really spent that time trying to figure out how to develop her magic, right? There isn't mm. enough breadth because we do find out in the third book that she actually has this affinity for working with animals, and that's important. Mm. But no one said, okay, well, we'll send you off to whatever the world of mages equivalent of Hagrid is. I guess it would be Ebb. Care of magical creatures. Care yeah. of magical creatures. That's right. Like there needs to be more, and that's something that really struck me when we were talking to friends in the interview that there were a lot of things that he could choose to do and there were certain things that he was expected to do but there was also a lot of variety of things for him to choose and that's something that a big school can really offer you and that's something that Watford is really falling down on right like kids like Agatha should have the option to do magical show jumping if they want or work with more animals and it shouldn't be limited to just becoming child soldiers yeah, yeah, yeah. There should be an option. Or like, as Baz says, cannon. you can't be picky about cannon fodder. Which raises the question, you know, like, it's pitched that all magical students should be able to attend Watford, but there used to be a barrier for how magical you used to be. And the argument that Matali Buns gives for that mm-hmm. is that you need to be taught, if you have a lot of power, you need to be taught how to control it so that you yeah. can be safer and stuff like that. Which I think I kind of agree with, because if you send people who have minimal amounts of magic to a magical school, then you put them in a hole like Agatha, where actually they could do better in a different form of education. But yeah. because they have magic, now you're forcing them to do magic. Whereas they might be better in a quote-unquote normal environment there has to be a middle ground right we're getting into the pedagogy of Watford which is yeah (laughs) dangerous dangerous ground we could spend a lot of time complaining about the mage I think the mage is terrible rightly so it's just like yeah (laughs) oh can I just say that since we're talking about ability and like Baz is not really in this but he's so good at everything he does and I just love him and I love that he wrote an essay (laughs) which basically demanded revolution but politely asked that the mage step down like in his school essay like that is peak gen behavior and I'm really into it (laughs) I love Baz so much even though he's not even here I just the flashback I felt like the flashback was the most vivid part of the whole section for me when Simon was remembering following him around all of those mm. months and like finally cornering him in the catacombs. And then all Baz talked about was what they didn't know and what his ancestor was actually able to do. So he was talking about how all these children died of the plague because they didn't have the ability to speak the right mm. words, like there wasn't the right power to solve it, to fix it. And so his his ancestor, his forefather, stayed with the children to, to look after them and sent everyone else home and that's what he was mm-hmm. able to do that was his ability it was not to find the more magical solution but just to be the presence and like do the right thing by the school and and Baz is sort of you can see that he's struggling with that even though Simon isn't really allowing him the opportunity to like be vulnerable it's just a really beautiful moment yeah and I think this is also very telling because there's that moment where in that section Simon talks about how Baz was always laughing at him in that year and we find out later that this is like that fifth year was the year that Baz really realized how deep he was in with Simon right and like so he was really struggling with that as well in this moment when he's like also dealing with his vampirism yeah but you know what breaks my heart about that section when Simon you know isn't really listening to what Baz is saying I guess because he has expectations of Baz's behavior right like what the mages told him that Baz is up to But he says, you know, Baz says, everyone who dies at Watford is entombed down here. And Simon just goes, so. And Baz goes, so. Like, he repeats it. Because it's his mum, right? But Simon has not connected the fact that Baz is down here because his mum's buried down there. Breaks my heart. Yeah. There's a point where even Simon catches himself and says, you know, I, I I shouldn't say that horrible thing about Baz. Because even though I don't have parents, I understand how hard it is to lose one. I know that it must suck to lose one. And I think that's a later realization that came from that flashback. 
that mm. memory that actually this horrible thing did happen to, you know, his, his roommate and he can't just treat it casually. He's a little slow, but he's got the spirit. Yeah. He's got the good heart, right? Like he just yeah. doesn't really know because he has, I'm sorry, he has no emotional regulation. He doesn't know how to pass his emotions <laughs> at all. So these things take a while for him. And like, I feel for him because he has such trouble like finding the words as well. Like he... Yeah. He always feels like he's not expressing himself, and I just, I really feel for him. Yeah, especially, that came out when he was talking to Agatha, right? Right at the beginning, when mm. he's like, I know you wouldn't. And it's yeah. like, well, yeah, maybe she wouldn't, but, like, the fact that they're not talking about it, she expects that they're going to have a conversation about it, and he just shuts it down. Yeah, and I think she wants to, right? Like, yeah. it would really help her. Neither of them really have the ability to deal with the fact that they're not in love with each other. And they both feel like they're expected to be together. Yeah. Because Simon says, you know, she's beautiful and I want her. I want everything to be fine. And it's like, it's not, you don't actually want her. You just want the status quo. Like, that's what you yeah. want. Like, she is just a method for you to get there. Yeah. I think Agatha is easy to be around in a lot of ways. I think she's always been very easy to be around. And she must be like a restful person. I feel like you ever meet people like that who are just restful people. Yeah. They don't ask anything of you. Or not even that, like, what they ask is really doable, right? Because mm. I feel like they do have a good friendship. They just haven't been working on that. I don't know. Agatha makes it very easy for things to fall apart. Like, she doesn't pursue things. And she also, in, in the second book, she's very clear about, like, no, I'm not going to deal with this nonsense. And we'll ghost you if she needs to. But she hasn't quite figured that out here. So she's just very accommodating. It's kind of neglect. Like, she's physically present, but she's not putting in any effort, you know? Yeah. Like, she's there, and then, it, like, that should be enough. But she's not going to work at it or give you anything to work with. Yeah, she doesn't have the ability to really care about Simon in that way. We should talk about that, too. I thought that was really important. Mm. Where she thinks she's broken, but she's like, I, I'm defective, obviously. Which is not the case. <laughs> not at all. But I thought that was, like, a clear sense of, like, expectation, right? Yeah. So it's just, this is what is expected of me. This is what mm -hmm. I should do. And there was that really great line, page 75. I may as well stand by Simon, shouldn't I? If that's where he wants me. If that's where everyone expects me to be. Yeah. Her own feelings don't even come into it at all, really. She's just like, well, this is just how I'm supposed to act. And there's a lot of that in this section. A lot of people expecting people to behave certain ways. Yep. And sort of mind reading their intentions. Yeah. The mage expects Simon to be better at everything. This is the thing. He 100% has the ability to help Simon, but he literally just expects him to be able to do it without needing that help. Which everyone does. Like, even Agatha, when she... There's that flashback where um, Simon's talking about her horses and how she tried to get him to ride a horse. And she says, Simon, you can't be scared of this horse. You've slain dragons. This comes up a lot. That just because yeah. Simon has been through a lot of stuff, he should just be able to, one, deal with whatever comes up and just yeah. keep facing things where's that great line when people look at me they tend to see all the things i've killed before yeah page 85 Oof. when it, people look at me they tend to just see everything i've killed before yeah he also kind of uses the expectation of being a bit rougher on the edges like he gets a bit shirty with um mrs miss possible in the mage's office when he's trying to get to the bottom of what happened to baz he's talking to baz's friend and he still he does that thing where he just makes it impossible for the other guy to get past like he's just mm. he's good at being obstructionist and he uses that because like it's expected of him and it's also how he gets what he wants right like he the ability that he has to get what he wants is physical not mm. with words and words are so prized so valuable at watford that it works quite well actually yeah and there's that moment where he talks about how it's easier just to take what you want it's easier just to like yeah go in and take what you want rather than try and talk about it that was almost my in-depth marginalia i was going to talk about my my son and his like the fact Aww. that i could read his mind because he didn't talk for so long but i just got really good at being intuitive yeah i do want to flag that the kind of use your word simon thing mm -hmm. because it does come up i think throughout the whole series like this is a real thing for simon yeah. So I think we should keep track of that. That and the whole thing about Baz being dead. Because when the dryad says, oh, you're, you know, the dead, the dead one, or whatever the line is. And he's like, is Baz dead? And I've noticed this throughout the series as well. Like, he really, really hates the implication that Baz is dead. Like, yeah. he does not like it. I preferred Blood Eater. I thought that was much nicer. Well, mm. tell your handsome Blood Eater you're looking for him. And then she calls Agatha sister golden hair, which I thought was interesting. Like, she recognizes her as... A sister, you know, mm. as one of them. Is this the dryad that Ebbs had the on on again, off again, pining relationship with? Yeah, same dryad. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a little bit about Ebb. Ebb's incredibly powerful. She has a lot of innate ability, mm -hmm. but she's not using it for being a soldier or whatever. And we, I think, we find a little bit more about this 
in the, in the previous section that she mm. just won't and so she kind of is understated with her power but she does have a lot of just power but she also doesn't expect anybody to i know so good yeah she just doesn't expect you to be cheerful she's happy being a sad eeyore she's okay if you want to hang out with the goats I just yeah I love it it's like the one place that Simon doesn't have to be anyone but himself yeah no expectations at all it's so good I love them and where he feels enough yeah like he just feels like he's enough as he is because when he's with Agatha he feels like he's not posh enough and when he's with Penny he feels like he's not doing enough or not like asking enough or investigating enough and with the mage he's never enough you know but with Eb he can just be there was a bit where he was talking about the mage could trust him more than anyone, but like sometimes he felt like the mage was just pulling him out to talk to him to test him, to mm. get the limit of his ability. I don't know. I feel like the mage doesn't trust him because the mage doesn't view him as a person. The mage really trusts nobody. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think this is so clear when in the first chapter of this section, you know, you see the mage's expectations of Simon's power not being met like he had very clear expectations of what the chosen one would be and simon is not meeting that and he talks about it on page 66 i promise to take care of him how do you keep a promise like that to take care of a child when the child is the greatest power you know and what does it mean to take care of power it's not the power you should be taking care of buddy yeah missing the point entirely i think i might have just written a lot of wtf in the margins there i was so annoyed because he just sees him as a cracked vessel. He just sees him as the power that he holds, not yeah. not for who he is as a human being. And that's that's always been the major's problem. Mm. He doesn't view people as people. He views them as obstacles, pawns, opportunities. Even Lucy, who loved him. I don't know that he was able to get past his own ambition in order to form a connection with her that really helped him. And his own ambition is from such a selfish place because he felt like he had to fight the system, which trust me, I get, like, I'm always railing against the system, but you don't treat people like this, you know, like, and later when we find out how he isolated her from her friends and things like that, right, it's just horrible. And there's that line on page 111, you know, what does Davy expect you to do? What does he expect from any of us? And Lucy says revolution, which... You know, it's kind of ridiculous because I think Matali is right. Like, he only cares about himself. He only mm-hmm. cares about his own issues. He doesn't think about the broader context. Like, he doesn't think about what, if I dismantle the system, what will the flow-on effects be yeah. for this world? And I think Lucy goes along with him because of her brother, right? Like, she's yeah. she's got a personal horse in the race. She's thinking about her brother who doesn't know how to do magic and wasn't allowed to go to Watford, but should have been because he does have some magic and he has a wand and he can't even use it, right? Yeah, and it caused strife in the family. Like, his, her parents fought over it. So there's a a personal element but I think it's so telling how different that is to Simon because all Simon really wants is community I yeah. think like you really see that when he talks about the history of Watford and he says like I, I like to think about it being a magical community before it was a school like he yeah. just really wants to belong somewhere yeah and he's so happy when they're all sitting out on the lawn laying on Penny's jacket that's now a blanket and he's like I'm happy I'm home that's actually something I wanted to talk about. So Frank mentioned how a lot of boys would share their experience after school, right? And they would mm. just talk about how good it was and they wouldn't acknowledge that maybe there were negative aspects to their schooling experience because that's just the narrative they've told themselves, yeah. right? And I feel like Simon does this a lot. Like he really clings to Watford and he says, you know, I'm I'm really happy, I'm home. But arguably terrible things happen to him at Watford. Like this is yeah. where the humdrum comes to like steal him away. He's had so many fights there. He doesn't get to like just live his life he's a little soldier being shunted around he can't play football because who knows when he's going to be called away to battle he knows he's going to die and yet he still has this like really oh i'm really happy here this is my home it's hard it's hard to read he has so little hope which just makes me think of the people who really struggle with depression and anxiety and who sort of think like all right i'm i'm not going to make it past 25 or whatever and like they get to 30 and they're like what am i going to do with my life like Yeah, well, I had that. Like, I, for whatever reason, never thought I would make it past 18. I just had a very clear idea in my head that I wouldn't make it past 18. And I remember when I turned 21, it was like a really sudden realization that, oh my gosh, I had made it to this age that Mm. I didn't think I was going to be. And suddenly I have to think about my future when I'd never really entertained that idea because I just didn't think I would make it. And I always used to say, like, I felt like I outlived myself. And I think part of that is moving countries. Like, in my head, I think there is a timeline that if I had stayed in my original timeline, Mm -hmm. I don't, maybe my life would have ended earlier, you know, for whatever reason. Like, I don't know what the reason could have been, but that's just the story I had. And then it's really shocking when you get to the point where you're like, oh, this is, this is different. How did I get here? This was not part of the deal. 
I think Simon's got that. We'll, uh, we'll definitely see it in the next book a lot where he's just like, what do I do now? I am yeah. not able to do anything. Yeah, all of the expectations have fallen away. I think we see a little bit of seeding of Penny's expectations in this because she has expectations of how Simon should behave in his relationship with Agatha, you know, and, and his behaviour towards Baz. Yeah. You see this tendency of her to, like, kind of expect everyone to want their needs met in the same way that she would want it met. Like, she doesn't really think that other people have different ways of getting things done. She just has yep. her way and therefore that is the best way. And Simon talks about it as saying, you know, of course you'd want an explanation. That's you. You like to demand explanations and then tell everyone why the explanations are crap <laughs> i am penny and penny is me <laughs> i just think it's as good for shadowing for kind of penny not maybe listening when she should be listening yeah she's very stubborn and she gets an idea and that's just the truth i mean i love penny she's great oh i love her too but this is definitely a flaw again rainbow rowell writes amazing characters who are all very real mm. agatha is not your manic pixie dream prize to be won and penny is just a disaster but she's an adorable disaster and she's a very smart and powerful and capable disaster but she's also just interpersonally a nightmare mm. it'd be very hard to be or not be her friend but oh, we yeah. still love her and that's okay ah, she's great big fan big fan i had a bit more perfectly normal roommate behavior if we wanted to cover <laughs> some of that yes go for it um on page 88 I know I should be happy about Baz being gone. It's what I've always said I've wanted, to be free of him. But it seems so wrong. People don't disappear like this. Baz wouldn't. Baz is indelible. Mm. I love how grumpy he gets at the idea that anyone knows Baz better than he does. Like, when Agatha talks about it, she's like, she doesn't know him better than I do. I live with him. And then when he talks to Eb about it, Eb's like, well, you know him best. And he's like, that's what I said. He's so <laughs> jealous at the idea that Agatha would know him better. He doesn't like it. Not because it means that someone else knows Agatha better, because someone else knows Baz better. He's like, I did not put in all the stalking hours for someone else to take the credit. It's so funny. And also just the way that he stops looking for Baz in all of the expected places, but then starts to look for him in the unexpected places, like mowing down the wavering wood with his sword. Yeah, like sweeping the forest. I also love that that is an expectation. Like Simon expects the woodland creatures to be more accommodating because mm. how many times do I have to save the wood for you people? <laughs> so funny. He's just real shirty about it and I love it because he's like, come on guys, I've done all this work. I think it's also really interesting that, you know, he says he doesn't want to talk to Agatha about anything that like, you know, the bad things in the past, let's just move on. But he still has a really bitter internal monologue about it. Like he yeah. doesn't really want to engage with her, but he's still thinking it. So on page 85, he says, oh, really, I want to say, is that what you talk about alone in the woods? You share your sheer love of travel. And the fact that he's he knows he's fuming and she can tell. Yeah. What if Micah was holding hands with Baz? I'd want an explanation. <laughs> it's so good. I, I honestly love how he doesn't get it but Agatha she's figured it out and she's annoyed by it because he doesn't want to keep playing this game where they pretend that they're together yeah. and if Simon didn't shut down the conversation if they just had that conversation they probably could have gotten to a really good point about it naturally mm. but because he just refuses to engage he doesn't give her the opportunity to really explore her own yeah. feelings it's wanting to like hold on to a relationship that you're already outgrowing just so that you can say that you had the relationship he's doing it for the wrong reasons I feel like we see that a lot with high school relationships, though. You yeah. know people who are together at school and you're like, this is not going to survive the end of the school year, you know? like, But they're together their entire school career. It's a lot. I think high school relationships need to be put in context. It's not saying that they never succeed outside of high school, but like unless you're really willing to do the work and grow together, it's very hard. You've got a lot of growing up to do in that time period. Yeah. High school is a time to flirt and pash people and learn how to study. That's what it is. <laughs> Can I talk about the dryad asking Simon, what do you seek, chosen one? She asks him this twice. So yeah. first thing I want to talk about here is the dryad calls him chosen one, which I think is just another, like, I honestly think that Simon is the chosen one of prophecy. I know that there's loads of discourse about this later on where he doesn't believe it, but I think he is. Yeah. And I think this is another proof point of it because a magical creature wouldn't care about the politics of the sleight of hand of pretending someone is a chosen one or not. Yeah. Like, they would just be like, hmm, this is the chosen one because they just know. Because it's true. And there's the expectation there, I guess, as well of him. I think he is, but I think the humdrum isn't the one who's going to destroy them. I think it's the mage. I agree. I agree. I also think, you know, Simon just doesn't know what he wants. That's the whole thing. Like he's yeah. searching the forest, but he doesn't know why. And then he talks about looking for a key that will make the world of mages make sense, which I will posit the key is Baz. He's looking for Baz. Baz will make the world of mages yeah. make sense to him. It's just yeah. like a lovely little thing, my boys. <laughs> 
I know. And also the the catacomb door, which I chose for my in-depth originalia, where you have to possess a genuine desire to enter. Mm, and most yeah. people don't. I'm like, well, if you're looking for your perfectly normal roommate yeah. who's gone missing, that I can see that you would definitely want to go see him. It would not just be a passing fancy. So much mm-hmm. there. I agree that he's the chosen one. I'm going to 100% back you up on that. The evidence is there. It really drives me crazy that he just doesn't believe it. it. Like, it makes me unhinged when we get to the third book. I just want to, like, hit him over the head with something, preferably a sword. That's like, right. stop it. When we get to the end of the but... third book, it all comes good. And I think that there's definitely, like, acceptance and realization. Also, mm-hmm. we can legitimately talk about Twilight in this section. Yes. Because there's an actual page... Twilight yes, reference. Yes, Twilight reference. Page 105. <laughs> Baz stepped into my reach. Tell me he's fat vampire twilight reference it's there thanks rainbow we love you so good it makes my heart it's not so even happy. subtle it's not even subtle and i'm into it <laughs> it cracks me up every time i get to it because i know that it's like an easter egg for all of us people who also love twilight for being what it is like it 100 is ridiculous but i love it it does what it says on the tin i don't know why people expect prize-winning literature from vampire romance like this is what it's supposed to do mm-hmm. why you got your bee in a bonnet about this not being amazing that's it's not a man booker prize winner <laughs> and it doesn't have to be i can't even read the booker prize winning books i find there's a lot of amazing literature in the world and it takes a lot to get through and sometimes i just want to through a book and that's okay absolutely agree and twilight's great because there's a lot there you can really dig into it but also it's just fun it's fun to read it's silly and it's fun and it's the wish fulfillment of a girl who gets everything she wants high school drama it's amazing love it it's like you said it's what it says on the tin i think i've got some marginalia some tangential marginalia the bit where he's in the catacombs and he finds the painting it's on page 108 i find a painting of a Mm -hmm. girl with blonde hair and tears pouring down her cheeks actually pouring like a gift carved into the wall a younger me would have stayed to figure out her story a younger me would have turned this into an adventure i keep looking for baz Mm. he's choosing his future yeah he's not looking at his past he's literally choosing his future also both their mums are down there which is so sad it's so sad Lucy makes me very sad. She deserved better. Justice for Lucy. Justice, yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm sorry, but she's in an abusive relationship and she deserved better. She talks about, in her section, she has this repetition line where she talks about the school and the walls being the same as when she was there. And she talks about the chapel, the tower, the drawbridge. Which, for me, I kind of related to tarot. So I thought tower, obviously the tower, revelation, upheaval, chaos, and then the drawbridge being the chariot. So, like, willpower and determination. And that sort of is her arc. Mm -hmm. I love that. She notes the changes, too. She notes that there are merwolves in the moat, and she notes that the uniforms are the same colors but different mm. styles, and and she's proud of him. She actually says, like, he did it. He opened the school for every child blessed with magic, and I love that yeah. she is proud of him for that, even after everything. She was yeah. always able to see the good that he was trying to achieve, even if he didn't really mean to achieve it for good. She believed in the best of him, right? And I think often we get into relationships with people because we we fall in love with who they can be rather than yeah. who they are. Potential. Yeah. And I feel like she's seeing the best version of him rather than the version he actually is. If he had been like 10% more receptive to her rather than just using her as the sounding board for all of his ideas. If he had just listened 10% more, he might have yeah. actually been a good person. But no, he's just the worst. Mm. Um, did you have any more marginalia? I wanted to just draw attention to a nice little parallel that I saw, which is on page 97, Miss Possibelth is talking about calling Baz's parents to, you know, figure out where he is. And she talks about um, talking to his dad and saying he sounded like a man at the end of this rope. And then on page 109, when Simon is exploring the catacombs, the very last sentence of that section, he says, every night I turn back when I get to the end of my rope. And I love the parallel of that. Like these two people who are both looking for Baz and just having no recourse like having no next step which can I just say Fiona is such a problematic woman just pay the (laughs) ransom but we'll get to that but also the fact that everyone keeps referring to the pitches the pitches the pitches when really it's just Baz and Fiona that's all that's left of the pitch line wild isn't it he's got way more grim family they're the ones who always get in trouble right Mm. they're all farmers except his dad who's very dapper but also still a farmer yeah I want Baz to be back already. I miss him. I know. I cannot wait. I'm so ready. <laughs> it's going to be so good. Any other um, marginalia from you? Oh, I like how Penny declares herself the dread companion. She doesn't yeah, like being cute. the sidekick, but even Simon's like, nah, she's my sidekick. And she goes, I'm not your sidekick. I'm your dread companion. Mm. 
I think the expectation is that the hero has a sidekick, but they really are a unit. They really are a set because they really can't do it without each other. Like, Penny needs to be looking after Simon in order to have meaning in her life. And it does become a bit codependent and she doesn't really know how to reconcile it later. But I think it's important now that they both have each other. Sometimes you have those relationships when you're younger. Like you really have those formative, absolutely circling around each other friendships where Mm. you just really need each other and you grow into each other so thoroughly. And I think it's really nice that you know, she's just like, I'm not your sidekick. I'm your dread companion. And she also is not going to be competitive about her grades because she's so busy helping Simon. She's like, well, it's fine. (laughs) I'll just not be the top of the class. Yeah, she's chosen her priority and her priority is Simon. Yeah, she's bucked the expectation of being the best because she actually has something she values more, which I think is really great when you're in an educational environment, especially if you're good at it. It's really easy to Mm. just be good at it. I think it's also great that she's basically the only one who prioritizes Simon, right? Like Mm. the fact that she's the only one who tries to talk to him during the holidays and like she'll possess other people to do it. (laughs) That's amazing. She is amazing. I think that was it for me. Did you have any more tangential marginalia? The only other thing that I liked was on page 103, which is again the catacomb scene Mm. when Simon talks about Baz raising a hand and then he flinches back. And I thought this was a testament to Baz's ability. Like, again, he's not really in these sections, but we kind of get the idea that he is a very capable magician, right? And the fact that if he raises a hand, Simon would like flinch back because he's kind of afraid of Baz's potential. And he also says like, you know, Baz was acts like he was born knowing everything about the world of mages. It's his world, it's in his DNA, which I quite liked. Put a crown on him. I also think that's totally like, even if you don't know everything, you would act like you did because it would be really infuriating to somebody who doesn't. And I think we do see that with Baz, like he often just pretends, like he's good at just like acting like he owns the place. And often that's enough, you know, like sometimes it is just about putting on a good show. Well, and Simon doesn't have knowledge otherwise, right? Mm. Like he really doesn't. He believes what he's been told by the mage, but he doesn't have any actual context. So, of course, when Baz says something is true and it contravenes what the mage says, it's like he acts like he knows everything. Well, yeah, because he grew up in it. And also, like, he does have this family heritage. But, like, he could say anything and Simon would just be annoyed by the tone of it because he doesn't have the same thing. It's a bit like Agatha and her show jumping, right? Like, he's never going to be part of that world because he didn't grow up with it. But, like, as I was reading that section again, I thought you could learn. Like, you could learn. Yeah. You could learn about it. You don't have to know. It's not like you have to grow up with show jumping to like you could read a wikipedia article and know but it comes down to intention right like he doesn't actually want to he doesn't care enough he doesn't have it as a cause yeah um do you have in-depth marginalia i do actually um so it's on page 75 and it is agatha section and it's the line maybe i don't have that sort of love in me maybe i'm defective So the context of this is Agatha has just reunited with Simon and she's kind of thinking about what this actually means for her, right? I think it speaks to ability in the sense that she doesn't feel like she's able to do something. She Mm -hmm. doesn't feel able to love him in the way that she's supposed to. And that's why it's also expectation because she feels like she should, like she's supposed to do it. Like this is what is expected of her. She should be able to therefore. And this is idea that like sometimes expectation informs your ability because you're expected to do something, you're able to do it. It's not necessarily because you want to. I chose this section because I feel like this is actually the story of my life. Like Agatha, I used to think I was broken and there was something wrong with me. And that I was, as Agatha says, defective. Like, I didn't have that sort of love in me either. Um, I didn't have crushes or chase after boys or do any of that stuff that you're supposed to do as a teenage girl. I remember, you know, I'd go on beach holidays with all my cousins and they would be obsessed with flirting with the lifeguards and I would just be like, what is happening right now? And especially in school, you know, people would have crushes on different people and I just wouldn't be interested. And sometimes I would just fabricate crushes just to pretend to be normal for a bit. Like you just pretend, you know, I thought I wasn't capable of romance or of falling in love. And I've hurt people because of that, because I was pretending, you know, by going through the motions like like mm-hmm. Agatha does. Like, I've done that. I've just gone along with something because mm, it was there. Right. You're supposed to. Right. Yeah. You're just trying to convince yourself. And it took me a long time to realize that there isn't just one way to be in the world. There isn't just one way to love or one way to be a woman, that there are options. And that is genuinely the reason I felt the way I did, because when I was growing up, it was a very clear binary of how you love and how things work. And if you didn't fit into that role and that expectation of society, then you were broken. And like, and it's just something that I'm still kind of unpicking and unlearning now as I become more aware of the options and learn more words and learn more things about it. Yeah. And I think going forward, I think it's just important to be honest and transparent with yourself. Like, am I doing this because society expects me to do it? Or am I doing it because I genuinely want to? 
the performance of it hurts everyone. It hurts me. It hurts other people. It also hurts people who look to you. And maybe if they saw you living your life in a different way, then they would be able to live theirs on their own terms too, which is why I think it's so cool that kids these days, sorry kids, have such breadth in their media, like what they see in their books and their TV shows, the representation that they have. Like, yes, we're not in an ideal place. And yes, there are still problems with these things. But you have words that I did not have growing up. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And so that's amazing. Like, you're not going to be 34 and learning things about yourself. You're going to know that a lot sooner, which is amazing. And you won't feel like you're broken because it's not a nice feeling to have to feel like there's something fundamentally wrong with you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just really felt for Agatha in that moment. Like, you're not broken. You're just going gonna to figure it out. It's okay. It's all right. She does figure it out. She's not broken. She's just redacted. We don't want to spoil it. <laughs> Yeah. It's fair. I completely understand where she's coming from here. And I also know that feeling of like really loving someone, but just not loving them, loving them. Not the right way. styles, you know? Mm. Sometimes Mm. it it is like that. But I also want to say, just as a little aside, we have this idea of romance as being this like be all end all. But that's like the first 10 minutes of the hour, so to speak. (laughs) Most of married life is like just being with your buddy it is a buddy system like you hang out with your best friend all the time and that's what it should be like you have a life and you have responsibilities and you have things to do and somebody has to take the garbage out and somebody has to do the dishes and like you have to be able to navigate that stuff as well Mm. the romance part is great but it is not the only thing that is important in fact it is like so far down on the list it's so far down on the list of things that is important like yes you should click but like it should not be the only thing that matters so if you don't feel the romance thing and you still want that like long-term life partner thing like you're not broken you're not bad you're not wrong it just it's just a different way of being yeah you know people talk about the first three months when you were someone as being the best time right like oh it's so new and exciting and to me that's the worst part like that is genuinely the worst part <laughs> so you're still auditioning there's them too... <laughs> yeah there's too much going on you don't know where anyone stands it's like yeah. too up and down like that's the stability that's nice it's the comfort it's, mm-hmm. you know when you're two years into it and some, you know exactly where someone is and what they're doing and like you can just sit on the couch together like that comfort is way mm. more appealing to me than the drama of the first three <laughs> yeah the excitement can be addicting but it is not the only thing that's important and if you like the comfort part like we both really enjoy that comfortable thing that mm. like settled in feeling the drama can just be too much yeah it's okay you don't have to be dramatic we can you can just have best friends and love them that's okay that's fine Jen approved what was your in-depth marginalia uh, i wanted to talk about the bit on page 107 when he goes to the catacombs to look for baz so on page 107 it reads the door itself a panel in the wall is always locked and there isn't any key but all you have to do to open it is possess a genuine desire to enter most people simply don't so he's retracing the steps of all the places where baz has been in order to find him because he has stopped looking for him in the places where he usually is so the expectation has changed from Mm -hmm. looking for him to show up in the room and do the things that he normally does to looking for him in unexpected places and i thought it was really interesting because it's about the ability the ability is conferred upon you by the door to open it if you have the intention like if you really want to get in you get in which is kind of like a metaphor for watford right like you weren't always allowed to get in people with very little magic were not always allowed to get in you had to really try you couldn't just want to go like lucy's brother you you weren't allowed but now you can go all you have to do is want Mm. to go and you can get in so i thought that was an interesting parallel expectation and ability are both important for this door but i i also want to talk about how like the text that it links back to for me is like it doesn't really work this way in real life. You can't just go through any door you want to, no matter how much you want to be on the other side of it. I've stood in front of mm. doors and wished with my whole heart to be on the other side of it. And it just doesn't work that way. So it makes me sad. I love that there is one door, at least, that will always open for you if you want to be on the other side of it. But going forward, it makes me think of the doors that maybe I'm not noticing and the other opportunities that I have that maybe they're not the ones I want, but I should still look for those doors too. Just as kind of a quiet, like, aside to myself that it's okay if maybe things don't work out the way I think they should Mm, maybe I'm not going through that door for a reason not to like ascribe reasons to the nonsense of the randomness of life maybe I'll appreciate the doors that do open for me and not worry so much about the ones that won't that's good I like that I just really love that door that one door that takes you to everybody's bones. And catacombs are so metal. I love them. <laughs> Did you have a character you wanted to spotlight? Yeah, so off the back of my in-depth marginalia, I actually want to spotlight Agatha. She really doesn't have an opportunity to express herself. And when mm-hmm. she does, people don't actually listen to her. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to just go through the motions all the time because that's just 
in doing what is expected of you I spent so much of my life just doing what people expected of me yeah and I just really want to give her a big shout out for that because it can be lonely and I think she is quite lonely and she feels quite isolated and so anyone who is just doing what they're doing because they think they should you know I see you and it's not always going to be like that you'll find it within yourself and you'll find a safe place where you can be who you want to be that's a future that I want for everyone beautiful thank you I love Agatha and I'm so glad you spotlight her this week who are you spotlighting um i want to spotlight simon this week i think that he is very upset and like you've said he just doesn't know how to name his emotions he doesn't really have the language for what he's feeling and he doesn't know how to convey to the people around him that it's important that baz is safe he doesn't really know that he needs baz to be safe but he needs baz to be safe baz is as much a part of watford and the watford experience as magic itself is for Simon but he hasn't Mm. really come to that realization and I think sometimes in my life I've definitely felt like I'm really upset but I don't know why like I'm really upset by this and I can't articulate what's going on and that's what's happening Mm. here and I just I've lived in this for like so much of my anxiety because I'm a naturally optimistic person so much of my anxiety I'm like I don't understand why I'm so upset about this and it takes a lot of work to get there so I just wanted to give him a little virtual hug to say like I get it bro I get it it's rough but he'll come back baz will come back yeah thank goodness (laughs) thank goodness yeah i i do feel for simon like and not only does he struggle to express himself when he does express himself people don't really see the problem like they don't just they don't see the depth of his feeling they just sort of dismiss him yeah miss possible came the closest right like she was the one who was like i will tell you what i can tell you and that's that you know his dad's really frustrated and you know everybody's worried about him like she she gives him enough to know that she's on it right and she tells him she'll tell him more if she finds out yeah she's so kind four for you miss possibelf yeah okay well next week we'll be reading chapters 19 to 27 through the theme of inheritance and i believe we have mr basilton grimpitch back on the scene oh i finally i hope i I trust fingers crossed otherwise it's coming up the week after it's right in the beginning though thank goodness yeah it's here somewhere and i'm ready (laughs) i'm ready for my boy well thank you so much for potting with me jen so good to catch up it was so good and so good to chat through these interesting topics and find some new elements and also to hear from frank which was lovely thank you frank as well for your story and thank you for doing a whole huge interview with us it was really amazing we really appreciate it yeah it was great got a lot out of it Oh, well, I will see you next week. Great. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginalia Pod on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com.